0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather, first of all, in your name. We thank you for this great book that we get to open and share together these next three weeks, the opportunity to explore the living word of God and the life of Jesus, to look into this word. Uh, to not only what happened in this time of history, but why it happened and also how we apply it to our lives today. Help us to listen well, to lean in and to also apply well what only you have to say in and through your living and active word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, good morning. This is week one of our series in the book of Colossians, The Supremacy of Christ. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take our time. We're going to take our time over these next three weeks. And of course, having said that, we will not have enough time to get through all that Paul has to say to us. Now, with a show of hands, I gave you a little bit of assignment last week. For those who were here and those who are online Uh, Feel free, by the way, if you're online here this morning, welcome wherever you are in the world. Great to have you here. Um, Feel free to open the chat and, you know, join our community and conversation in regards to this series moving forward. So we're in church now, right? And so with a show of hands for those who read all four chapters this last week, hands nice and high so I can see. Fantastic. Thank you for participating in that. And for those who haven't yet, you've got time this week to to read all four chapters. But we've also, here at Door of Hope, the team have developed a study guide for us. Now, I have no idea where you get this from. (laughs) So where do they get it from? Uh, Welcome from the welcome desk, go to the welcome desk, we will have it. Oh, sorry, Amanda's going to share with you later on where you get that from. So, fantastic, feel free, if you would like to go the extra step, the extra mile in this series, connect groups, um, couples, families, feel free to open this special guide on this great book of Colossians. The first question, let's, let's address it, let's address the elephant in the room, why the book of Colossians? Why Colossians, written over 2,000 years ago? And what relevance does this book have for each of us today? The book of Colossians is one of those messages that has certain truths that are desperately needed today. Think about this fragile and uncertain world in, in, in where we live in, at the moment. We, we live in an age of division, do we not? Uh, politically, ideologically, socially, and culturally. Yet this great book speaks into those things. Not only do we live in a culture or an age of division, we also live in an age of confusion, especially regarding Jesus Christ. Most people think of Jesus as one of the many options in the smorgasbord of religious possibilities. You've heard it, you've heard it, haven't you? Hey, all you religious people, get along with each other. You're really just saying the same thing. You're really just worshipping the same God, get over yourself. You've, you've heard that, right? You've heard that. Well, this book of Colossians actually addresses that particular conversation. Not only do we live in an age of division or, and confusion, but we also live in an age of deception. The role of the family... Is there a role for the family in the world that we find ourselves living in? Do we even need the family anymore? Well, Colossians chapter 3 actually speaks into that. And so we have this same tendency, do we not? We have the same tendency today as it was back then to get just a little sidetracked from the mission and the truth of the Christian faith. We can get a little bit off-center if we're not careful. I'll never forget the day I got my driver's license. Who remembers that day? Come on, oldies, help me out. What kind of car were you driving when you got your driver's license? Tell the person next to you. Online, have a chat. What car were you driving when you got your license? Well, for me, I was driving, well, in fact, my first car, my first car was an XE Falcon. I was a drummer back in the day, and I was playing a few gigs around the state, and um, I had to have a car big enough to carry my drums around. I remember one Friday night, I wouldn't have been barely 18 years of age, as I had to drive a few of my friends in my car, because these days, you have to have so many hours, do you not? To have young, you know, young people when they get their license these days, every so many hours, right? Is that right? Um, that you can't actually have young people in your car. To assume, anyway, so back then, of course, back in those days, <laughs> um, I just took my friends from Hobart to and It was one of my first times driving at night. And you and I know, help me out here, driving at night at a young age, barely 18, is different to driving in the daytime, right? Absolutely. I'll never forget, I was scared. <laughs> Witless? <laughs> Woo! Um, and I tried to pretend I had it all together. But you can barely see in front of you, and you're relying on help me out here, generation of my vintage and older. Help me out here. When I was brought up, this center line with these uh, um, reflective road markers were called very good. Younger generation, did you hear that? They're called cat's eyes. Cat's eyes. These cat's eyes helped me remain alive with my friends in the car that Friday night in the dark, barely seeing in front of me. They helped me get to where I needed to get to, these cat's eyes. These these, um, um, reflective road markers. And so maybe we could consider the book of Colossians a little bit like this, the cat's eyes. Um, that these instructions, these four chapters given to the church at Colossae were to keep them from swerving off the road of the Christian faith. That night helped me um, uh, prevented me from swerving off the road, I'm sure, many times. And of course, back then, I don't think they were either side of the lanes. Do you know what I mean? Of pretty much the centre of the lane. They weren't a lot like they are today. <laughs> and so today, we're a lot more well looked after, thankfully, with these cat's eyes. And so the church in Colossae, this book was written to help them keep focused, to stay centred. ...on Jesus Christ. And that's why it was written. This thriving young, remember? It's a young church in Colossae. And they had threats coming at them left, right and centre. A number of things that would try to get them to swerve away from the truth. And so we have this one book, 95 verses, four chapters... And the dominant theme is, well, it's our series promo, and it's the supremacy of Christ. Colossians, the supremacy of Christ. And so Paul is very clearly saying here that he, Jesus, is supreme. In relation to what? In relation to creation and in relation to... To the church. Jesus, Paul is saying, is everything. You see, Paul wants the church to remain Jesus centered, to stay centered on Jesus. Not a religion, not a system, not even teachers who come and go, not even the secrets that this early church were obsessed with and culture were obsessed with. And so he certainly, Paul certainly states it in these writings here over and over again, that if all you have is Jesus, then you have all you need. And I'm just so conscious as I was preparing that this week, that some of you here this morning, here in person and online, need to hear that once again. That if all you have is Jesus then you have all you need. And so Paul's letter writing here to this young, early church is to prevent them from swerving away from the truth, that you don't need anything, and you don't need anyone else but Jesus. One book, four chapters, 95 verses, but I've broken it into four sections, not chapter by chapter, by the way. We may even only be able to really concentrate over on these next three weeks, chapter one. I'm going to be honest with you. I may not even get... We'll go in a couple of verses. And so four sections are broken up like this. A personal section, the doctrinal section, a practical section, and a relational section. And if you're familiar with Paul's writings, that's how he would outlay the epistles, his letters. And so the personal section, let's just look at that for a moment. In fact, most of this morning, we're going to be focusing on this personal section. Um, We may only, in fact, focus on two of these sections, so don't get too hung up on all four at the moment, if you could. So personal section um, here, and that's chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. You see in all of Paul's uh, letters, this is how he would um, introduce Um, with a a prayer and a personal personal remarks. Well, let's open it up once again, thanks to Rachel's reading there this morning. Verses 1 to 8, let's read this again. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope. A familiar triad there? Familiar triad from Paul? You might remember he wrote to the church in Corinth, the the love chapter, chapter 13. You'll hear that passage read out at many weddings. Very good. Once again, the faith and love that spring from the hope, faith, hope, love, stored up for you in heaven and above which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras our dear fellow servant, who is, faithful, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. That's part, and we're going to keep reading just in a moment, of the personal section. The second section is the doctrinal section, and this is where we're going to spend bulk of our time. Maybe look at it like this. The entree, the main, and dessert. Who loves dessert, right? Okay, loves dessert. Fantastic. So today is the, is the entree, the introduction. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the bulk. Uh, we're going to spend, uh, sorry, the most of our time in, uh, uh, on this doctrinal section. The bulk of our time. In fact, Bishop J. B. Lightfoot. I found this in my readings, and he he said this about the book of Colossians. I really like this. He said, "The doctrine of the person of Christ is stated with greater precision and fullness than in any other of St. Paul's letters." Here's why. Because of the threat to the early church. Just park that over there for a moment. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So that's the doctrinal section. Let's go to the the practical section. Once again, this is a pattern of Paul's writings, is it not? Um, From Going from personal to doctrinal to um, the practical section. See that if these are the truths, Paul's saying, if these are the truths, then this is how they should look in your lives as, um, uh, as church members in Colossae. Then you've got the fourth section. It's the relational section. Uh, Feel free to have a read through that. Uh, I don't think we're going to get there, but we'll see. We'll see what happens over these next couple of weeks. So you've got personal, doctrinal, practical, and relational. Anyway, that's how I've broken them down. Anyway, into the four sections, not nice and tidy chapters, um, but the references are there for you to dive into a little bit later on. Speaking of diving in, before we dive in, What is important here is context. Um, There are a few things that you need to know about the city of Colossae. And by the way, by the way, whenever you are reading or studying God's word, everything is written in context, is it not? It's written in context. Wayne's giving me the nod of the head there. Thanks, Wayne. Because context in this case is what? It's Middle Eastern culture. 2,000 years ago. And of course, our culture is completely and utterly different today. So when you're reading or studying God's word, it's very specific cultural context. But what you're always looking for when you're reading and studying is the transferable truth that comes even through that context and what you're looking for is a principle that still speaks, that God uses to speak, even through some very specific context. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says God's word is alive and active. So, the city of Colossae, let's go there for a few moments. A recently forgotten city, forgotten city. Um, The Greek and Roman influence and Jewish converts. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong in this early church? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. You have different belief systems, different religions, and I think we've even got a map here. and We'll refer back to this map to give you an idea where Colossae is to where Paul ministered in Ephesus. All right, I'll come to some more detail about that just in a moment. So take a note of the map of where Colossae is compared to that of where Ephesus is because this was a place where goods and services, please put that back up just for a moment, a place where goods and services and ideas would come together. And some of those ideas were working their way into this early church. And the church, just like its culture, we're obsessed with, new, sh- with uh, new shortcuts and new secrets in regards to spirituality. This church was obsessed with the new, with discovering what was new. And of course, you think about it in our own context just for a moment, how true is that in our own culture? And we bring that Even into our church, we want to know how to get the most for us that requires the least of us. What prayer can I pray that God will give me this and that? Weight loss. What's the new secret? Did you see the one that came out this last week? What's the new secret when it comes to weight loss? What's the new pill? that I need to take, the new powder that I need to stir. What's the new secret? We're obsessed with new technology. Hey Siri, she worked, get off, get off. I don't know how you turn you off, how do we turn off? Get off, go away. Okay, she said okay, good. We're obsessed with the shortcuts, aren't we? We're obsessed with financial gain. These things that are going to change my life. We're obsessed with what? The church were obsessed with. What were they obsessed with? Shortcuts and secrets. We want to know how to get the most for us that requires the least of us. Let's not forget. Let's not forget the church in Colossae. They are a young church a young church, they were figuring this out, what truth is and what it isn't. And sometimes these belief systems and these religions, they would kind of merge into a brand new religious system. It was bits from this system, bits from uh, over there. And they'd put all this together. Welcome to Colossae. And so, the Apostle Paul. This is the context whom he writes this letter to. And of course, it's out of his concern. And here's why. Because Jesus would not be boiled down to that of a secret or a shortcut. And if the Apostle Paul was here and stood in front of us today, he would say this, church, fake news, fake news. So... what i read, and I've read, I read this over and over again. I don't know if you pick this up in your reading. Um, what's interesting is Paul's approach to the church here. He never, in fact, comes out and says, here's the problem, church, you bunch of losers. Mm-mm-mm. He doesn't do that at all, unlike his writings to the church in Galatia, by the way. That's a little different. But what he's specific about here is the solution. Um, he presents to them the supremacy of Jesus, and that is to be central to the life of the church, to help prevent them, remember, to prevent them from swerving off the road of truth. Paul will do this powerfully in this letter. So, where is Paul when he's writing this letter? He is in the same place that he writes three other letters from, called the epistles, Paul's letters. Where is he? He is, in fact, He's got this habit, Paul, of finding himself in jail. (laughs) He just loves the truth of the gospel. He wants to get it out and about, and it's happening with or without him. And so he finds himself in jail where? In Rome. Very good, in Rome. By the way, by the way, Paul did not start this church in Colossae. He didn't start it. There's no record of Paul visiting Colossae at all. Yet, yet at all. I don't know if you picked up in the writings there the readings there before, that he'd only heard of the work of God in this city. But he did go to a place, remember? He did go to a place called Ephesus. Can anyone feel free to yell out, how long was Paul in Ephesus for? Three years. Three years. While he was in Ephesus, you remember where Ephesus was to Colossae? While Paul was in Ephesus, that whole region... Heard about the gospel. Now, included in that region, remember that region, included in that region was this city of Colossae, around about 160 kilometers inland from Ephesus. Let's read on. Let's read on. It says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Here it is. Because we have what? We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Let's read on, verse nine. For this reason, since the day we were We heard about you. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Press pause there for a moment. These two words are key, knowledge and wisdom. Press play. I'm gonna come back to those two words in a moment. Chapter two, verse one. Oh, we got there. We got there. We just skipped a few verses, but hang there. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. And for those at Laodicea, by the way, remember, that's the town next door. And for all who have not met me personally. Remember, remember, they have not seen Paul. Paul has never seen them. Because Paul did not start the church of Colossae directly. So... If Paul didn't start the church, say this question with me. Who did start the church? Very good. Who did start the church in Colossae? Let's read on in verse 6 to 8. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from, here we go, you learned it from Epaphras. Our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Chapter 4, we got there. We got there only a couple of verses. Let's keep going. Chapter 4, and we'll come back to 1. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras, there he is, the founding pastor. Are you also, also a prayer warrior? Absolutely. Who most likely, when Paul was in Ephesus, most likely Epaphras would have left Colossae, gone over to Ephesus, got saved through the Apostle Paul's ministry, gone back to Ephesus and planted this church. And of course, planted is like a connect group in a house. And that's where this church started. So, we know who wrote it. We know who started the church. Why then did Paul write this letter and he'd never actually been there himself? Well, he simply just checking in saying, hey guys, you No, he wasn't. I mentioned it before was because of the threat, the threat that was coming to this early church that were growing in their faith, that they'd heard the gospel and their lives, lives were changing. And this threat had to be addressed. So serious was this threat to the church. It motivated Epaphras to take a long journey from Colossae to Rome. Equivalent, wait for it, equivalent from here in Launceston, across the Bass Strait, up past Victoria, New South Wales, right up to, well, nearly Brisbane. That's how serious this was, 2,000 kilometers to visit Paul and say, Paul, Paul, we have a problem. We have a big problem. And we need it to be addressed. So the first threat to the church was this, that Jesus was less than God. Jesus was less than God. We'll talk about this a little bit more next Sunday. And so what I mean by that is the the deity. The deity of Jesus is under attack in the church of Jesus. That's the first threat to this early church. The second threat is this. I mentioned it before, that they're obsessed with secrets and shortcuts. Secrets and shortcuts. Paul's response was in 62 A.D., Where he wrote this book of Colossians, causing uh, that was causing the church to swerve off the road of truth, and he addresses the church head on these issues. Now, what's we mentioned the mixed bag, (laughs) the mixed bag that was coming at the church and the culture of the time, of course, Um, and the mixed bag was this: was Greek mysticism and Jewish legalism, and a whole bunch of other things that were going on. Jewish legalism was that um, certain regulations for, for uh, to, that they had to keep. Um, uh, the Greek mysticism... Has anyone heard of the Gnostics? You've heard of the Gnostics? Um, Gnosticism. Um, it soon became that in the second century, but anyway... Um, You may have heard of the word agnostic. In fact, some of you, even online here this morning, you may refer to yourself as an agnostic. An agnostic means somebody who doesn't know. Is God real? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. That's who and what an agnostic is. Gnostic or gnosis, the Greek word gnosis, actually means knowledge. And so the gnostics... Believe that they tapped into a deeper knowledge than anybody else. And so, Gnostic, the word Gnostic refers to somebody who knows everything. Just raise your hand. If you've got a family member, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> but the Gnostics, they're in the know. I know. I know. I know. These are the people who know everything. And often it would be mystical and it would be legalistic. The Gnostics, in fact, believed that God was good, but the material world was incredibly evil. And so therefore, if that was the case, they actually believed that God did not create the world. Not only that, they in fact denied Jesus as God. They pretty much put him in the space of a... Of a good angel. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But Jesus, they didn't believe, had a a physical body, and they denied the the deity of Jesus and also the humanity of Jesus. That was known as Gnosticism. And so this belief system grew to infect the life of the church. By the way, by the way, by the way, the church, the church is always in danger. There is never a time that the church is not in danger. In every generation, in every continent, at all times, the church is facing danger like this. You think about it, you think about it. When Jesus said in Matthew 18 um, that he will build his church, Jesus said, I will build my church. And Paul said that the church is the pillar and the foundation of all truth uh, sorry, that's Matthew 16. Sorry, I've just corrected Matthew 16 and 1 Timothy 3:15. The church is the pillar and foundation of all truth. What's the truth? The truth of the gospel. Paul is referring to. And so, if the church is that, and if it's at the centre of God's plan for humanity, then you can expect that Satan will always attack it. What's his role according to John 10:10? 10, 10, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Not the building, by the way. So, the church, we read... Is in fact fruitful. Remember that? It's fruitful. Verse 6 In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. I love fresh fruit. Anyone else love some fresh fruit, right? Who's the fresh fruit lovers? Who had some fruit this morning for breakfast? Yep, fantastic. You get the idea. We also love to see spiritual fruit, and we're still seeing that today. From all those years ago, the church was experiencing fruit. And we still see that today. But what happens, what happens, help me out here, what happens when you leave a piece of fruit out for a while? Exactly. It goes a bit moldy, a bit soggy. Um, It attracts bugs, right? Sometimes, in some cases. So when you get a fruitful church, when you get a fruitful believer, there will be bugs. Just as ants are attracted to the ice cream bowl that's left out of a night time not referring to anyone in particular, um, that, <laughs> and moths are attracted to the light at the front of your porch, anyone? Yeah, you get the idea. So are Satan and his demons attracted to the church. The church is always in danger. But remember, remember, there are always faithful, mature, godly people there, but always remember those cat's eyes to stay focused on Jesus for he's our safe place and he's the supreme over it all let's read on let's bring it to an end Paul is intentional with these key words verse 9 to 10 for this reason since the day we heard about you we have not stopped praying for you we continually ask God and this is his prayer to fill you with the knowledge of his will it's a good prayer isn't it through all the wisdom there's that word again six times it appears by the way Paul's claiming it back from him. An understanding that Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge, there's the word again, the knowledge of God. Paul uses these words intentionally. Why? Because these were the words that the Gnostics loved to use. Verse 11 to 14, let's finish it up this morning. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominions of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the personal section of Colossians chapter one. Tick, we have done it. Next week, as I said, the doctrinal section. Verse 15 to 20, that's your homework this week. I will ask next week. Verses 15 to 20, six six verses. Feel free to read those this week as a little bit of study. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Most important part of the book, I would say, the supremacy of Christ. We're going to look at why Jesus is supreme. Can I close by asking you a question? But we need to go back. Whoa, wow, wow. We need to go back. Paul starts by his writings, verse two, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace. These are the Siamese twins of the New Testament. Grace and peace in all of Paul's letters. Grace and peace to you. I want to ask you this question as we close up here this morning. Do you have peace? Think about it. Yeah, whatever. Think about it. Do you have peace? Not just that five minutes of quiet. But that that deep and that sustaining inner peace that no matter what comes our way in this fragile and uncertain world, it's very common for Paul to write this in his letters. And they're never reversed, never reversed. And here's why: you can never understand the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. And it's when you experience the grace of God that produces the peace of God. What's grace? Grace is in fact getting what you don't deserve. Peace is the result of knowing God's grace. It's kind of say like this, grace is the fountain and peace is the stream that flows from. It's a quality of life that comes from being right with God. And so maybe you're not experiencing peace because you haven't yet experienced God's grace. I want to say to you this morning, for whoever that is in this room or at home in your space this morning, peace is possible. Romans 5 verse 1 puts it like this, therefore, since we have been justified, what does that mean? Therefore, since we have been justified, just as if I had never sinned. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, peace this morning, can be your experience but you need to experience God's grace first and the good news and the good news and there is good news is this that peace is not a concept he's a person and his name is Jesus and we'll continue part two next week in Jesus name amen